Super glad you're here at church with us this morning. Yes, hopefully you're all doing well. If not, Jesus is here to make it all better. Amen. We, uh, from Tim Keller's book, Hidden Christmas, uh, we talked about light and darkness actually two weeks ago. And uh, we've got kind of another thought that he has in his book. And, and uh, today we're talking about the convergence of two realms. That was my title. <laughs> and... Uh, what does Christmas really mean? And so we're kind of got peeling the curtain back and, and kind of digging into what is, what, is, what is some of the hidden things of Christmas that is so easy to take for granted. We're going to start with the Christmas story here in the book of Matthew. And, and I don't know that I've ever, 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 ever heard these verses preached for any message, let alone for a Christmas message. But this is the beginning of the Christmas story. And so we're going to read this. So you're going to kind of flip out a little bit. Nudge your neighbor say, don't flip out. <laughs> This is going to be agonizing for you, but I promise we're still going to do it. I don't care how much it tortures you. We're just going to plow on through this today, and there's a point to this. Like, these, this is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, wife. <laughs> I have one supporter. So we're going to read some scripture today, and then we're going, to, we're going to talk a little bit about it. So, Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. That is, as we know, the beginning of the New Testament. And we're going to read through all this. So buckle up, put your big boy and girl pants on, because there's no bathrooms left, so you have to, <laughs> right? <laughs> so here we go. Just, and remember, just like, you're not going to remember these names, but just, just kind of remember, you know, there's a, a few screens of this, and kind of just tuck that back in your mind, because we're going to talk about that in, in, after a little while. So this is Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Now, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Are you with me so far? <laughs> Are you feeling encouraged and uh, strengthened by the word of God this morning? <laughs> Hang with me. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon. Has anyone ever read this before? I mean, do you actually? Okay, you do. Okay, good. Ammon, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, 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 the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, 
the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Bet you never had that genealogy read to you on a, the week before Christmas before. So it's the first time for all of us. But there's a point to all of this, which we'll get to in a little bit. But for now, a little segue this morning. Before we talk about this some more, I want to talk about this. What is that? It's the beginning of a... Say it again. Say it, say it louder for those in the back. The it's the beginning of a fairy tale. If I say, once upon a time, like, what, what do you know is coming next? A story, right? And I'll tell you what, if you do that in a room full of kids, all of a sudden it gets quiet, doesn't it? Teachers, that's all you need to do. See, you've been wondering how to deal with these classes, and all you need to do is say, once upon a time, because who doesn't love a story? We love, <laughs> okay, don't point your at your neighbors. Deep in our hearts, we all have some kind of, you know, think about, think about the movie industry. What is the movie industry? It's stories, right? A story is in visual form, but it's a, I don't know how I don't know how many billion dollar industry thousands of billions probably so probably trillion I don't know but lots and lots and lots and lots of money going to movies but before that books have been around before that and stories have been around before there were books right either oral stories or books written on parchment or like these tales these stories they stir our hearts you know what one of the funny things one of the one of the consistent things when I talk to pastors from all over the nation Anyone that, anywhere we've ever been, if, if this subject ever comes up, it's the same in every church, everywhere. Every one of them that says, I do a, we do it, we bring all the kids up on Sunday morning and we do a, a short little message, you know, for the kids and then they go off or whatever. And they all say this, I get way more comments on my little kid sermons than I do on the adult ones. Everyone, it, like a hundred out of a hundred will say, people love that way more. Why? Because there's more stories. What did Jesus use when he taught? Stories. They engage our heart and we're captivated by them. And I worked really hard to kind of sum up some ideas that Tim Keller was, was, was kind of laying out, and I failed. And so I thought, well, fine, then I'm just going to read them to these guys. <laughs> so I've got a bunch of, I, I, I feel bad sometimes, but, but these these things that I read as I'm preparing for these messages, and sometimes just reading to grow, they stir my heart so much. And I'm like, they say these things so well. And I tried to see if I could wrap this, this idea up and make my own slides for this. And I wasn't able to really put it together, I felt, in a way that you could understand it. Because that's, that's me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a bunch of, of slides from Tim Keller talking about fairy tales. Talking about this idea, and he has such a him. So he he talks about a C.S. Lewis talks about uh, this this realm of of the make believe and the fairy tale. Ravi Zacharias used to talk about it all the time. Uh, I forget a couple other guys that 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 know it's the the place of these fairy tales in our psyche and, and in our culture. And there's a reason for it. And so I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Tim explain that a little bit to you, and I'll comment on it. But Tim Keller says this in his book, Hidden Christmas. He says, the great fairy tales and legends, like Beauty and the Beast, 
Sleeping Beauty, King Arthur, Faust. I had to look up Faust. It's a German fairy tale. I didn't know what that one was. Did not really happen, of course. They're not factually true. And yet, say and yet. And yet, they seem to fulfill a set of longings in the human heart that realistic fiction can never touch or satisfy. See, I, I read fiction books, much to the dismay of everybody that I talk to. They're like, you don't read like novels and... No, nonfiction. I read nonfiction. Yes, nonfiction. Nonfiction. Right, and they get that same reaction. You what? You don't read nonfiction? Or you don't read fiction? I read nonfiction. I always get them mixed up. Yep. I read the true ones, like, you know, the factual ones that are boring and that are books like Hidden Christmas is the kind of stuff that I read. And once in a while, I'll read, uh, what do you call it, a biography? But very seldom. When I was young, I, I loved the Hardy Boys books and the Chronicles of Narnia. Those two, and, and you just are lost and immersed in this world that your imagination kind of creates. And so Tim Keller is talking about that. He says, why, why almost universally are we drawn to that? Why can you captivate an entire room of kids? Why, you know, Callie, like all of our kids, we read, read to our kids, you know, Aspen always wants to come sit on my lap and have me read a book to her. And, <laughs> So why is that enticing? Why is that captivating? And that's what Tim is kind of talking about here. And just, just hang with me. This is going to be a little different, but just hang with me. There's, there's, you're going to, I think, enjoy this. And he said, he said there's something stirring in our hearts that we like it. Now, that, the, no theological stuff yet. We just, we like these stories. We like this make-believe stuff. We like to be lost in another world. Even, even if you're, you know, super practical, there's a little part of you that just is like, you might daydream just a little bit about a tractor that drives itself and changes its own oil. You know what I mean? There's this little part of us that dreams about this make-believe land where everything is good, Right? So Tim goes on to say this. He said, that's because deep in the human heart, there are these desires to experience the supernatural, to escape death, desires to know love that we can never lose, to not age, but live long enough to realize our creative dreams, to fly, to communicate with non-human beings, to triumph over evil. Like, right, wrong, or otherwise. He's not saying this is good or bad right now. He's just telling us that that's in there. It's in all, it's in the, it's part of the human condition to want to hear stories. Not just any stories, we also want to hear the make-believe stories where everyone lives happily ever after, and it's just this world of, of kind of greater than this world, right? Yep, where, where uh, we can, anyone as a kid, anyone as an adult, play make-believe, right? I, right? I remember just all the time, we would just, we would pretend this. We would pretend, we, we kind of live, we make up these worlds. Why do we do that? And that's a, that's a pretty, like, no one has to teach you to do that. We do that, we stumble on that naturally. I remember getting ready for Bible study one time. I was about 10 years old. It was in mom and dad's room. And I had my, I think it was my little baby blanket. It was a little square white blanket. I had that laid out on the living room floor in front of the fireplace. And Sean and Chad and Michelle were coming over. And I was pretending I was, I was some kind of like Tarzan guy. 
And so that was that was my home. That was my tree for it. And so when Sean got over, I got to explain all the whole world to him. I'm like, all right, so we can jump really high. That's like 200 feet high in a tree. So so we're there's like we got like cheetahs and stuff. And so we'd go, and we'd make noise, and we'd jump up and we'd land on this little blanket. Now we're up in a 200 foot tree fort or whatever. And and you know because we're like defenders of the jungle or something like that. But we, no one's listening to the rest of the message anymore. They're like, like. As Kelly would say, I can't, can't, can't. <laughs> but, but we don't just make believe, we make believe fantastically, right? If, you don't, if you're going to make believe, it, you don't, you don't like this pretend world that you're making up. It's not like, no, I've got 50 bucks. <laughs> right? Exactly. We make believe fantastically, and we all do. So why do we do that? So he goes on to say, if the fantasy stories are well told, we find them incredibly moving and satisfying. Why is that? It's because even though we know that factually these stories didn't happen, our hearts long for these things. And a well-told story momentarily satisfies these desires, scratching the terrible itch. He says, we hear these stories and they stir us because deep inside our heart, deep inside, our hearts believe or they want to believe that these things are true. Death should not be the end. We should not lose our loved ones. Evil should not triumph. Our hearts sense that even though the stories themselves aren't true, the underlying realities behind the stories are somehow true or ought to be. That's what he's saying. He's saying this fantasticalness that we know is make-believe. Our hearts are longing for that. Now he's starting to get theological. Now he's starting to say, the reason that our hearts long for these amazing, fantastical, make-believe worlds where we can fly and lift up school buses and, and throw school buses in the ditch because that's where they belong. <laughs> Or whatever, I don't know. Just trying to get her, trying to make sure Joe's still awake. That we can have superhuman powers or whatever, and that the, the life that we see, the disappointment that we feel, and the brokenness that is real, the death and destruction that we face every day, isn't how it should be. So we use these fairy tales as not just a means of escape, and it is, not just a means of escape, but as a, as, a, as a taste, as a touch, as a sniff of something that even though we know that's not real, I, I feel like that somehow that's how it should be. I feel like that's how it, like we don't go through that dialogue in our head unless you're really philosophical, but, but that's kind of what's going on in the background. That's why we keep running to these stories. So Tim says this, then we come to the Christmas story. And at first glance, it looks like the other legends. Here's a story about someone from a different world who breaks into ours and has miraculous powers and can calm the storm and heal people and raise people from the dead. And in this story, his enemies turn on him and he's put to death and it seems like all hope is over, but finally he rises from the dead and saves anyone, everyone. We read, we read that and we think, hmm, another great fairy tale. Indeed, it looks like the Christmas story is one more story pointing to these underlying realities. It's another amazing fairy tale of what we know ought to be true. But then Tim says this, but 
Matthew's gospel refutes that by grounding Jesus in history, not in a once upon a time. (laughs) Matthew says, this is no fairy tale. Jesus Christ is not one more lovely story pointing to these underlying realities. Jesus is the underlying reality to which all of the stories point. Jesus is that underlying reality. We do do have these things stirring in our hearts, and we find out in Matthew's gospel that Jesus is that reality. He does live in that realm. And he it stirs in our hearts because we know we're not made just for this. We know we're made for more than what we're experiencing. One of my favorite new things, I just heard this last week, uh, it's this. Don't you miss him though? And it's a, and here's here's the deal. This this is a line. Does anyone ever anyone ever heard of John Maxwell? John Maxwell teaches on leadership. He, he was a pastor at Skyline Wesleyan for years. We had inscri- subscribed to the Enjoy Leadership Club back when we got cassette tapes, and we played them in a cassette tape player. I actually still have probably have a bunch of Enjoy Leadership tapes if you want to take them home and listen to them on your cassette player. And we would get one a month, and I forget how much it was, but once a month they would talk about another. That was before the Internet, right? So there would be a new leadership topic, and I remember when that envelope came. John Maxwell's going to be teaching me how to lead, and it was so cool, and that was super, super popular in, in the late 80s and throughout the 90s, early 2000s. And John Maxwell is just, he's just, you just love him. You just, I've got a picture with him in Minneapolis, and you just, you just want to be with him. He's just, he just makes everyone feel warm and fuzzy, and he's a great leader, and he teaches on leadership, but he's also a great evangelist, and he's always getting people saved. So he's always sharing the gospel, and people are always responding to the gospel. And so I heard this story about John. It's from a friend of John's. This wasn't from himself, but this was a friend of John's who was talking to someone else, and they were talking about atheism, and it was kind of a, a podcast, and And they said, you know what I love? I love John Maxwell. And they were talking about these desires that are are tucked away and hidden in our heart. He said, I love what John Maxwell does. When John Maxwell meets someone and they're they're an atheist, he just says, can I just share my story? Can I talk about my testimony? And he starts talking about Jesus. And he said, right away, the people say, well, just just wait a minute. I'm an atheist. He's like, I know. But let me share my testimony. And so he just keeps talking. And then halfway through, they'll be like, but... I'm an atheist. I don't, I don't believe in any God. He's like, I know. Just let me just share a little more of my story. And he keeps talking about his story and about what Jesus has done in his life. And, and so finally, they just can't handle it anymore. They'll say, but listen, I just don't want you to waste your time. I'm an atheist. He says, I know. And he says, but don't you miss him, though? And over and over and over and over, they say yes. Because it's written in our hearts. Don't you miss him, though? That's what we're talking about this morning. That's what we're talking about, the fairy tales. We're talking about this reality that's written in the DNA of our hearts that we can't quite pinpoint. We can't quite access it. And the scriptures tells us this. Yet God has made everything in Ecclesiastes 3.11 beautiful for its time, for he's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. It's hidden. And in Christ, it's revealed. 
That's why when you come to Christ and you surrender your life to Jesus, you have this, oh, oh, the light comes on, revelation dawns. It's the light has dawned in the land of darkness. Like you get it. Like you don't get it, but you get it. Like, like something resonates at a primal level within us where this, this longing for these happy ending stories, we know that there's more than this. But we don't know how to put our finger on it. And that's why we go running to these fairy tales. And uh, incidentally, uh, Stephen Hawking said, he's got his famous quote, he said that he, in talking about Christianity and the ridiculousness of it, he says that Christianity is simply a fairy tale, fairy story, for those that are afraid of the dark. And John Lennox, who's a mathematics professor at Oxford University, says uh, atheism is simply a fairy story for those who are afraid of the light. <laughs> Don't you miss him, though? You know there's something stirring in your heart. Back to Tim Keller. Tim says, Matthew does not begin his story of Jesus' birth by saying once upon a time. That's the way fairy tales and legends and myths and Star Wars begin. Once upon a time signals that this probably didn't happen or that we don't know if it happened, but it's a beautiful story that teaches us so much. But it's not that kind of account that Matthew is giving us. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That means he's grounding what Jesus Christ is and what he does. He's grounding it in history. Jesus is not a metaphor. He's real. This all happened. Tim goes on. He says, that means if Matthew is right, that there is an evil sorcerer in this world, and we are under enchantment, and there is a noble prince who has broken the enchantment, and there is a love from which we will never be parted, and we will indeed fly someday, and we will defeat death. And in this world now, red in tooth and claw, someday even the trees are going to dance and sing. Right. Hallelujah. Yes. We're all a part of this fairy tale, except this one's real. This one's real, and that's what Matthew's telling us. He's rooting this. And so begat so-and-so, if you got the King James on you. Come on. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and they begat so-and-so, and they begat a lot of, there's a lot of begatting going on. So we see the two realms meet, divinity and humanity converge. This prophecy in Isaiah about Jesus Christ in Isaiah 9, 6, for, for unto us, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given. This child, a child is born. That's the humanity of Jesus. He was, he was born as an infant, but a son is given. A son cannot be born. The Son is eternal. The Son of God is eternal. So this prophecy shows us the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus, all smashed into one. Tim says that Jesus Christ has come from that eternal supernatural, supernatural world that we sense is there, that our hearts know is there, even though our heads say no. At Christmas, he punched a hole between the ideal and the real, between the eternal and the temporal, and came into our world. Do you see why I had to quote some of this stuff? I just, I just couldn't come up with that. I'll show you something else. So about this genealogy, Dr. Ivan Panin, he uh, became a Christian in, in 1882, and then he spent the rest of his life studying 
the syntax of the Greek Bible. And here's what he found about this genealogy. Okay, now bring back to remembrance all the, you know, was the son of and his mother was and, okay, he was the son of. All that that we read this morning, that section of scripture, okay, that genealogy of Jesus. And that's the human genealogy of Jesus, okay? It's the humanity of Jesus. That list of names is the record of the humanity of Jesus. Now, here's what... uh, Dr. Ivan found out from that. He found out that in that genealogy, in the original Greek, the number of words is divisible by seven, exactly. All the words in that entire genealogy, you can divide it equally by seven. It's a multiple of seven. He found out that the number of letters in that genealogy is divisible by seven. This is the human genealogy of Jesus in the original Greek. He found out that the number of vowels is divisible by seven, exactly. Dr. Ivan, in 1880-something, found out that the number of consonants is divisible by seven, exactly. The genealogy of the human genealogy. This is the humanity of Jesus. Listing out so-and-so's dad, so-and-so's son, and so-and-so's dad. That list of names in the original Greek It's divisible by seven. The number of words, the number of letters, the number of vowels, the number of consonants. He also found out that the number of words that begin with a vowel must be divisible by seven exactly. He found that in his research. He ended up going on from this for the rest of his life. He published 43,000 pages of uh, textual something patterns. He found out that the number of words that begin with consonants are divisible by seven exactly in this human genealogy of Jesus. The number of words that occur more than once is divisible by seven. So was was the father of was the father of was, that number of wases is divisible by seven. The number of words that occur in more than one form is divisible by seven. The number of words that occur in only one form is divisible by seven. He also found that in this genealogy of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus on display, that the number of nouns in that list is divisible by seven. He also found that only seven words are not nouns. He found that the number of names is divisible by seven. He found out that there's only seven other kinds of nouns in that list. And he found out that the number of male names are divisible by seven and the number of generations are divisible by seven. That is all in the divinity, in the humanity of Jesus, in that genealogy, in that list. And so we see Jesus. He's the bridge of humanity and divinity. No man is putting together that kind of a list that meets that criteria. He gave the mathematical odds of it. It was, it was really big. <laughs> to be able to have consonants divided by seven equally, vowels divided by seven equally, male names divided by seven equally, nouns divided by seven equally, that's supernatural. So in the list of Jesus's humanness, we see supernatural. Do you see what I'm doing there? In the list of the genealogy of Jesus, which is his humanity, you see at work, divinity. I just thought that was a neat little tidbit. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, 
The second person in God, the Son, became human himself. He was born into the world as an actual man, a real man of particular height, with hair of particular color, speaking a particular language, weighing so many stone. The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby, and before that a fetus inside of a woman's body. This fairy tale that we're all feeling and this fairy tale that the Bible is presenting is exactly not that. It's reality. It's the reality of there's another realm. There's a greater world. There's a greater reality. There's something that I'm feeling that, I, that only, only the make-believe scratches that itch. C.S. Lewis famously said, if we find that, that our longings are not fulfilled in this world, then one can only conclude that's we're, that we're made for another world. And that's what we're feeling when we're chasing after these fantastical ideas and immersing ourselves in these fairy tales. It's not just escapism. It's scratching the itch of reality. Say reality. It's something that's real within us. We know we're made for more than this. We know that this isn't right. We feel the injustice. We know we're not meant to die. We know we're meant to live forever and love forever and thrive forever and give forever. We know that darkness is evil. We know that when we're around it, we feel not right. We know that light draws our hearts, and yet we feel out of struggle to do anything about it. And so that's the predicament that we're in. We know there's another realm, and it wouldn't have been enough for Jesus to just give revelation and say, here's the way to get to the other realm. See, God's a holy God, and we had sin. And so there's something that needs to be dealt with. We don't qualify to go to make-believe land. The land where everything's better and we all live happily ever after. We don't qualify. You're not on the list. You don't have the right animator. You can't get there. Jesus could have came and opened the door, which he did, but we still wouldn't have been able to get there. We, we would have been able to peer into it, right? But be denied access. Wouldn't have been enough for Jesus to come and help us. And we'll just, all right, we'll get Dave and he can come in a little early. And maybe Curtis, no, not Curtis, Dave, the other day. We'll get all the Daves together and, and maybe Steve can come in and Joe. And, and we're going to work on us. Jesus is going to help us, but we'll just work on us, and we'll, get, we'll turn this place into the fairy tale land. It wasn't enough. We needed a brand new start, and we needed some way to merge this broken reality with the true reality of the kingdom of God that we know exists. We feel it in our hearts, but we just can't put words to it. How do we bring those two together? It happened 2,000 years ago in a stable. That's what Christmas is about. It's the merging, the converging, the blending of these two realities so that our hearts that are echoing what's true, it's leftover spiritual DNA from the Garden of Eden where that realm lived with this realm. That's a good place to nod your head. Say amen. Because this echo of perfection, we can kind of hear it. We can kind of feel it. It's 
kind of like sticking your head under the floor. We can kind of smell it. Where is it? We don't know exactly where it is. And that's what it's like. And that's why Jesus came. He's like, you know what? These realms were together, and then man sinned in the Garden of Eden, and then we had a flaming sword blocking your way to the tree of life so that you didn't live forever in that fallen and broken condition. You will now die, praise God, so that you can be born again in this lifetime. But Jesus said, but it's still off. We need to re-merge these two realms, and there's only one way to do that. That's with a, a perfect sacrifice. Someone from that realm needs to come and pay the price in this realm. Someone needs to come and tell you all about the once upon a time that's written in your hearts. And someone needs to make a way for you to, for you to attain that. We need to make a way for you to start fresh. A couple more slides will be done. Tim Keller says, did God really become a human being? Did Jesus really live and suffer and die for you? Did he really rise triumphant over the grave? If that's the case, then all the other things in the Bible, that the Bible says about how to live make sense. But if the biblical story begins once upon a time, if it is inspiring, inspiring advice and not the declaration of the greatest events in history, then it's all nonsense. But Christmas shows us that Christianity is not good advice it's good news. It's good news. It's reality. It's history. It's the supernatural combines with the natural. It's divinity meets humanity and makes a way where there was no way. Larry Sparks, this is our last slide. He says, God has moved towards you. Glory has come. Glory is here. The incarnation, the word of God becoming flesh, is the greatest evidence that we're not waiting for a move to God, waiting for a move of God to come one day, someday. God has already moved towards humanity, and heaven is awaiting a response from the earth. What will we do with his movement? How will we respond? It's not just a baby in a manger. It's, it's the once upon a time kingdom invading this earth where there's darkness, death, and decay and merging again to respond to the echo of our hearts that says, I know there's something more, but I can't scratch that itch. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is, but I know I'm made for more than this. Jesus said, let me show you. Let me heal you. Let me save you. Let me make a way. And so heaven has moved What's our response? What's our response? My response this morning is, yes, Lord. Let's just say, yeah, I surrender. I surrender. God, thank you. I, just, I, I pray that we never see the stable in the same way again. I pray that we never again just think of it as a gathering of sheep and goats and, and, and cattle lowing and little drummer boys, but it's, it's that realm breaking forth into this realm making a doorway and changing our lives so that we, we, ha we now have access. We're now qualified, not because of what we've done, but because of what he did, because Jesus made a way today. Yeah. Yeah. I normally would never do this, but I, I, can't, I can't be quiet about this. When he had the number seven up there, how crazy was that, right? 
Did anybody else think that was weird? Okay. And so I'm going, what now is the meaning of seven? Because like, I just don't want to take that. Like, why is seven important in this? Why seven, right? In the Israelite culture and literature, it communicates a sense of fullness, completeness, and perfection. The coming of Jesus was the finishing. It would end up being the the complete, perfect plan that would enable us to step into the full story. So I just had to explain the seven part. Yes, yes. I like preaching with my wife. Well, the whole uh, goal of this was to delete slides because <laughs> I had way too many. So that one probably got lost in explaining that. So thank you for pointing out that the, they call it the number, you know, 777, God's number, right? Perfectness, completeness, wholeness. So sevens in the Bible are a big deal. And uh, I hope that challenged your heart this morning. Let's just pray. Father, I just thank you for, for merging the two realms, God, for making a way for our hearts to be fully alive in you, God. And we just ask this morning that if, if someone's watching on video or someone's here this morning that hasn't surrendered their life to you, we just pray that right now they would just say yes to you, Jesus, that they would make that, that commitment, they would make that surrender and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Come and take the reins. Come and drive. You, you, you do it. I, I surrender to you. I believe that you are the Son of God. Come in the flesh. Died on the cross, buried in the grave, and rose from the dead. Thank you for making me new. Lord, we just pray for us this Christmas season that we would uh, live with our feet uh, planted firmly in the, the happily ever after realm, the once upon a time realm that we know is not make-believe, but it is reality, the story of all stories in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.